Chapter sixty six of Varney the Vampire, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume two, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter sixty six. Flora Bannerworth's apparent inconsistency, the admiral's circumstances and advice, Mr. Chillingworth's mysterious absence. For a brief space, let us return to Flora Bannerworth, who had suffered so much on account of her affections, as well as on account of the mysterious attack that had been made upon her by the reputed vampire. After leaving Bannerworth Hall for a short time, she seemed to recover her spirits, but this was a state of things which did not last, and only showed how fallacious it was to expect that, after the grievous things that had happened, she would rapidly recover her equanimity. It is said by learned physiologists that two bodily pains cannot endure at the same space of time in the system, and whether it be so or not, is a question concerning which it would be foreign to the nature of our work to enter into anything like an elaborate disquisition. Certainly, however, so far as Flora Bannerworth was concerned, she seemed inclined to show that, mentally, the observation was a true one, for that now she became released from a continued dread of the visits of the vampire, her mind would, with more painful interest than ever, recur to the melancholy condition, probably, of Charles Holland, if he were alive, and to soul-harrowing reflections concerning him, if he were dead. She could not, and she did not, believe, for one moment, that his desertion of her had been of a voluntary character. She knew, or fancied she knew him by far too well for that, and she more than once expressed her opinion to the effect that she was perfectly convinced his disappearance was a part and parcel of all that train of circumstances which had so recently occurred and produced such a world of unhappiness to her as well as to the whole of the Bannerworth family. "'If he had never loved me,' she said to her brother Henry, "'he would have been alive and well.' but he has fallen a victim to the truth of a passion and to the constancy of an affection which, to my dying day, I will believe in. Now that Mr. Marchdale had left the place, there was no one to dispute this proposition with Flora, for all, as well as she, were fully inclined to think well of Charles Holland. It was on the very morning which preceded that evening when Sir Francis Varney called upon Charles Holland in the manner we have related, with the gratifying news that, upon certain conditions, he might be released, that Flora Bannerworth, when the Admiral came to see them, spoke to him of Charles Holland, saying, "'Now, sir, that I am away from Bannerworth Hall, I do not and cannot feel satisfied, for the thought that Charles may eventually come back and seek us there still haunts me. Fancy him, sir, doing so and seeing the place completely deserted.' "'Well, there's something in that,' said the Admiral. "'But, however, he's hardly such a goose, if it were so to happen, to give up the chase, he'd find us out somehow.' "'You think he would, sir, or do you not think that despair would seize upon him, and that, fancying we had all left the spot forever, he might likewise do so, 
so that we should lose him more effectually than we have done at present? No, hardly, said the admiral. He wouldn't be such a goose as that. Why, when I was of his age, if I had secured the affections of a young girl like you, I'd have gone all over the world, but I'd have found out where she was. And what I mean to say is, if he's half such a goose as you think him, he deserves to lose you. Did you not tell me something, sir, of Mr. Chillingworth talking of taking possession of the hall for a brief space of time? Why, yes, I did, and I expect he is there now. In fact, I'm sure he's there, for he said he would be. No, he ain't, said Jack Pringle at that moment entering the room. You're wrong again, as you always are, somehow or other. What? You vagabond! Are you here, you mutinous rascal? Aye, aye, sir. Go on. Don't mind me. I wonder what you'd do, sir, if you hadn't somebody like me to go on talking about. Why, you infernal rascal! I wonder what you'd do if you had not an indulgent commander who puts up even with real mutiny and says nothing about it. But where have you been? Did you go as I directed you and take some provisions to Bannerworth Hall? Yes, I did, but I brought them back again. There's nobody there, and don't seem likely to be, except a dead body. A dead body? Whose body can that be? Tom, somebody. For I'm damned if he ain't a great he-cat. You scoundrel, how dare you alarm me in such a way? But do you meant to tell me that you did not see Dr. Chillingworth at the hall? How could I see him if he wasn't there? But he was there. He said he would be there. Then he's gone again, for there's nobody there that I know of in the shape of a doctor. I went through every part of the ship, I mean the house and the deuce a soul could I find, and as it was rather lonely and uncomfortable, I came away again. Who knows, thought I, but some blessed vampire or another may come across me. This won't do, said the old admiral, buttoning up his coat to the chin. Bannerworth Hall must not be deserted in this way. It is quite clear that Sir Francis Varney and his associates have some particular object in view in getting possession of the place. Here, you Jack. Aye, aye, sir. Just go back again, and stay at the hall till somebody comes to you. Even such a stupid hound as you will be something to scare away unwelcome visitors. Go back to the hall, I say. What are you staring at? Back to Bannerworth Hall? said Jack. What? Just where I've come from? All that way off and nothing to eat, and what's worse, nothing to drink? I'll see you damned first. The admiral caught up a table fork and made a rush at Jack, but Henry Bannerworth interfered. No, no, he said. Admiral, no, no, not that. You must recollect that you yourself have given the, no doubt, faithful fellow of yours liberty to do and say a great many things which don't look like good service. But I have no doubt, from what I have seen of his disposition, that he would risk his life rather than that you should come to any harm. Aye, aye, said Jack, 
He quite forgets when the bullets were scuttling our knobs off Cape Ushant, when that big Frenchman had hold of him by the scurf of his neck and began pummeling his head, and the lee scuppers were running with blood, and a bit of Joe Wiggin's brains had come slap in my eye, while some of Jack Marling's guts were hanging around my neck like a nosegay, all in consequence of grape-shot. Then he didn't say as I was a swab when I came up and bored a hole in the Frenchman's back with a pike. Aye, it's all very well now, when there's a peace and no danger, to call Jack Pringle a lubberly rascal and mutinous. I'm blessed if it ain't enough to make an old pair of shoes faint away. Why, you infernal scoundrel, said the admiral, nothing of the sort ever happened, and you know it. Jack, you're no seaman. Very good, said Jack. Then, if I ain't no seaman, you are what shore-going people calls a jolly fat old humbug. Jack, hold your tongue, said Henry Bannerworth. You carry these things too far. You know very well that your master esteems you, and you should not presume too much upon that fact. My master, said Jack, don't call him my master. I never had a master, and don't intend. He's my admiral, if you like, but an English sailor doesn't like a master. I tell you what it is, Jack, said the admiral. You've got your good qualities, I admit. Aye, aye, sir, that's enough. You may as well leave off well while you can. But I'll just tell you what you resemble more than anything else. Chew me up. What may that be, sir? A French marine. A what? A French marine? Good-bye. I wouldn't say another word to you if you was to pay me a dollar apiece. Of all the blessed insults rolled into one, this here's the worstest. You might have called me a marine, or you might have called me a Frenchman. But to make out that I'm both a marine and a Frenchman, damn me if it isn't enough to make human nature stand on an end. Now I've done with you. And a good job, too, said the admiral. I wish I'd thought of it before. You're worse than a third day's ague or a hot and cold fever in the tropics. Very good, said Jack. I only hope Providence will have mercy upon you and keep an eye upon you when I'm gone. Otherwise, I wonder what'll become of you. It wasn't so when young Belinda, who you took off the island of Antigua in the Inges, jumped overboard and I went out to her in a heavy swell. Howsomedever, never mind, you shook hands with me then, and while a bushel of the briny was weeping out of the corner of each of your blinkers, you says, says you, Hold! cried the admiral. Hold! I know what I said, Jack. It's cut a fathom deep in my memory. Give us your fist, Jack, and, and, Hold yourself, said Jack. I know what you're going to say, and I won't hear you say it, so there's an end of it. Lord bless you. I knows you. I ain't a-going to leave you. Don't be afraid. I only works you up and works you down again just to see if there's any of that old spirit in you when we was aboard the victory. Don't you recollect, Admiral? Yes, yes. Enough, Jack. Why, let me see. That was a matter of forty years ago, nearly, when I was a youngster. There, there, Jack, that'll do. 
You bring the events of other years fresh upon my memory. Peace, peace, I have not forgotten. But still, to hear what you know of them, if recited, would give the old man a pang. A pang, said Jack. I suppose that's some dictionary word for a punch in the eye. That would be mutiny with a vengeance, so I'm off. Go, go. I'm a-goin', and just to please you, I'll go to the hall, so you shan't say that you told me to do anything that I didn't. Away went Jack, whistling an air that might have been popular when he and the Admiral were young, and Henry Bannerworth could not but remark that an appearance of great sadness came over the old man when Jack was gone. "'I fear, sir,' he said, "'that heedless sailor has touched upon some episode in your existence, the wounds of which are still fresh enough to give you pain.' "'It is so,' said the Admiral. "'Just look at me now. Do I look like the hero of a romantic love-story?' "'Not exactly, I admit.' "'Well, notwithstanding that, Jack Pringle has touched a chord that vibrates in my heart yet,' replied the Admiral. "'Have you any objection to tell me of it?' "'None, whatever, and perhaps by the time I have done, the doctor may have found his way back again, or Jack may bring us some news of him. So here goes for a short but true yarn.' End of chapter 66 Recording by Roger Moline